Hi there, Dave Levine here. Thanks for joining me for episode number 24 of the Sports Stories podcast. This episode is the fifth episode and the last of the series with Paul Smith. This has been a fantastic series of conversations and I'd encourage you to listen to episodes 3, 6, 14 and 19 to hear more about Paul's life in and out of cricket. I'm particularly looking forward to speaking with Paul about the work he has done taking cricket into some difficult communities both in South Africa during apartheid and again in the work he has done in the US. As always, I'm sure Paul will be frank and honest in his answers. Now, I am really enjoying bringing the conversations to you and I do hope you are enjoying listening to them and also taking some insights or inspiration away. Please continue to share your comments and feedback. It's great to receive them. So let's not waste any more time and jump back in to continue the journey with retired professional cricketer and author, Mr. Paul Smith. So Paul, Cricket Without Boundaries, tell tell me a bit about that. In the late 90s, I took some ideas to a guy called Tim Watts, who's chairman of Bertemps Group. Yeah. Uh, Where I'd known Tim since I was 16. Um, And uh, we spoke about post-career, Pertemps, as people would know, are a recruitment agency. Yeah. And because of my background, I wanted to link sport to education. And yeah. I said to him, I don't want to be a teacher and I don't want to be a coach, but I believe there's a massive role in between. And we spoke about all my experiences and what sport teaches you. Um, and uh, he said, go away, get some experience and come back to me. And in that, which I did, I spent some time <laughs> in America. I did quite a lot of coaching here. Um and as I said, I didn't want to be a coach. I mean, being a coach is easy, particularly if you talk about professional sport, because they get paid to turn up. What we what we did is we set up two companies where we targeted young people uh, and we taught them cricket and we linked it to key skills accreditation. So, so long as we worked with this group of people over a yeah. period of time and we could prove that learning was taking place, yeah. they would get key skills accreditation, things that they weren't getting at that time. Yeah. Um, and it taught them many, many things. And I think we were in, from the time that we started it to the time that I went to the States, we were in 100 and, 130 wow. uh, schools and 20 community groups within Greater Birmingham, if you like, the West Midlands. Um, and we also set up, a, a that company was called Coachright. Um, we set up another company called Cricket Without Boundaries where we linked sport to education, to employment. Yeah. And we targeted, because of the funding restrictions at that time, we worked with people who were unemployed for a minimum of four and a half years and we had 12 weeks to get them back into work. So my job was to encourage. Teaching them sport is easy. Um, we used the indoor school here at Edgebaston, so you got the best facilities. Um, and we used the classroom in the mornings and we gave them again cricket in the afternoon and it wow. taught them. So if you've been unemployed for a long period of time, odds on you probably are quite introverted. Yeah. Going into new environments. When initially when we set it up, people say, Oh, I don't want to play cricket. But when they'd seen what we were actually the way that we actually did it, the idea was to get people to communicate better in pairs, uh, to be more enthusiastic, uh, to plan a strategy to be part of a team. Wow. Uh, the whole strategy was completely different. We just happened to be playing a game called cricket. Uh, and we linked it to academic work, which got them qualifications, which meant that they were ready for the work, for the 
um, workplace. Um, and the success rate of getting people back into work was huge. Um, it taught me an awful lot and certain people who work within recruitment turned around to me and said, it works. And I said, well, I know it works. I've been doing this all my life. <laughs> it would um, work. It did work yeah. and it was very, very successful and it ran for a decade. I wasn't involved with it um, for the for the whole decade, yeah. but I set it up. It was my idea. I took it to Dennis Amos and said, I think we should do this. Indoor school had just been built yeah. uh, with lottery money uh, so that it had to be used by the community because yeah. that's what it was for. Yeah. It was a hard sell initially because it was seen to be expensive to use, Test yeah. Match Stadium and all that. Yeah. Uh, and we found a way of funding at Sport England. We went, I went and spoke to them. We got uh, money to cover the costs of this and that and whatever. Uh, and other people came on board with funding. Um, but it was a huge experiment, which was very successful and led to a very successful business, two very successful businesses. But that was only really an extension of all experience of, of winters overseas where right. it, you could have gone into townships where... It was about moving people forward. So, so, so the idea of this, do you, do you feel, was was sown through your experiences going on tours, seeing the townships, but you'd never actually been into them or set anything up before that. This was the first this kind of was, community this base. Was, this was the first. Um, well, when I was in Johannesburg, I, I, yeah. I, I was involved in something called Baker's Biscuits, yeah. who were the big sponsors of community coaching, if you like. Yeah. Uh, and that took us into townships and whatever. Yeah. But you're talking apartheid, so you're, you've got yeah. a white face in Soweto. Yeah. You're one white face, and there's two million faces that aren't white. Yeah. You have a white government that has treated these people terribly throughout their whole lives. They only know one difference, and that uh, one way, and that's suppression. Yeah. So Dr. Ali Bakker, the most important man in South Africa, never yeah. mind just in cricket. Yeah. His, he said to me, your job is to put smile, smiles on faces. If you put smiles on faces, they'll come back next week. Um, and over a six-month period, the numbers got bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. Um, and, and this was an incredibly difficult time. Yeah. Um, because no one else uh, who was... I mean, obviously, there were, there were people who were white in South Africa who didn't believe in the regime, but we were specifically doing things in a different way to try and get a different outcome. Right. And back at... I used to go running with them at lunchtime and he would say, my job is to get South, South Africa back into international so sport. Yeah, yeah. And it worked. Uh, so that sort of experience and then going to South America where I didn't speak Spanish, I didn't speak Portuguese... If you talk about a country like Argentina, we just finished fighting the Falklands War. Um, I was English. I didn't look. In, I didn't look South American, because I was. I was different. I was a professional cricketer. I'd be the only one in Argentina. Um, I would get a lot of press reports about you know games I was playing in or, or whatever it would be, and it was pretty hostile because people had lost their children fighting yeah. in the Falklands. Yeah. So, but the mere fact that you, I didn't speak Spanish and I didn't speak Portuguese meant that I had to learn to communicate in a, in a way so that they would actually understand. So it's gestures, it's eye contact, it's um, doing things in a way where it didn't matter. You don't have to talk. Sometimes you talk with your eyes. Yeah. Um, so all those little things um, sort of, it's all part of your education on how to, how to communicate you, you obviously have an advantage because you have a knowledge of a sport that few do yeah um but paul as you know south africa and 
And overseas development area is an area which I'm quite passionate about. You know, I was born in South Africa, brought up there, so I know I know the areas you're talking about. Um, but what was it that really drove you to do that work? Why did you do it? Because uh, it's fun. It's about engaging with people, and and because you're from a different country, you're a bit different. Okay. Um, all these places that you're going into, uh, once people know you're there for the right reasons you'll get really good results because people get you. Um, how were you received when you first went to start? I was, a, I was a, a young guy. I mean, certain people probably yeah. were expecting an older coach yeah. than, than, than me. Uh, but I would always argue in my corner, well, if we're here to learn, I think I can teach you something. Uh, and, and the more enthusiastic you are, the better results you will get. Your job is to do a good job today and make it fun so that they come back next time. Right. That's what, what a great, simple philosophy. It's a very, very basic philosophy uh, because I know that if I know what I know I and I know that you're going to come back, we create a cycle of learning. We go on a journey, don't we? And, we and it is. It's a, it is a journey. Uh, and it's pretty humbling work, particularly in, a, in, in South Africa at that time, because not many people, lots of people turn up, cut a ribbon, take a photograph, and the photograph appears in the paper. That was not what we were about. We were, you know, we were, we were more interested in trying to move things forward in incredibly difficult circumstances. Uh, and the, the harder the circumstances, so long as you knew you were safe, that's the key. Um, the harder the circumstances or the harder the offer, would you go and work in this environment? Uh, you know, if someone said, would you go in the Bronx at night in yeah. New York? I would say, why not? I used to go into Hillbrow in yeah. Johannesburg yeah. at night. Loads of people would say, don't go there. It's yeah. nothing but trouble. But I used to have the time of my life there and I knew people that would be there. And the mere fact that you'd made the effort to be on their turf Okay. It was a big deal. Because, and they valued that, I guess, yeah, and because, with you, yeah. Because we, despite the difference in skin colour, upbringing, all that sort of stuff, we got it. There was a common thread and we could laugh and we had a lot of fun. Uh, and it proved something to them and it also proved something to me. It's all part of an education. You, you, life is an education. So I think if you have a knowledge that other people don't have and you have either an ability or an opportunity to make people's lives better, then I think you sell yourself short as a person, but you also sell an awful lot of other people short. And whilst you're doing this good work, you can identify, you should actually come and watch this. You should actually do it this way rather than doing it your way because your way has never worked. And the only way that you can... The way that you could really prove that is to say that your method doesn't work because look at the colour of your teams. Mm. Look at and look at how your teams don't interact with the community. Look at how you go about doing the way the things that you do. So you're challenging the system. You're challenging the system the whole time because there is a better system. You're telling me that Great Britain couldn't be run better than what it's being run at the moment. I don't care anything. There is a better system. Um, and we're not here to criticise it, but by, if by asking questions you raise debate, yeah. then that's a good thing. Hmm. Unless you're threatened by the questions that this debate is bringing to the surface. And if you're threatened by it, 
then ask yourself why you're threatened by it. And invariably, it's because there's a better person to do that job. But I'm hearing you were, you were, you were constantly kind of challenging, but with the, with the intent of improving the system, improving yeah. the environment for the individuals. That's what we're here for, isn't it? I'm hearing I, that's what I you're think, here I for. I, I, I'm here for it as well. I, I, think, I, think, I think that we are here. Yeah. If we are here for a short period of time, then you know, when we're pushing up the roses, hopefully somewhere, you're not looking for acknowledgement or applause. It's a matter of you've played your part somehow. I know that if, it, if you talk about Edgebaston Cricket Stadium, yeah. Warwickshire County Cricket Club, I don't think about it too much. People talk to me about it a lot, but I know I played a part in moving things forward. Right. And, I, and I'm, I wouldn't hang my hat on that, but I know, I know I was part of something that moved things forward and that's as much as you can do. And if you can entertain people and people remember those good times as the times of their lives, which many people tell me that it was, um, then that's great. I, I want to come back to the South Africa and the overseas work, but I'm also really curious here now about actually, when you play cricket, um, at Edgbaston, were you playing for yourself or were you playing to move the, the, the team, the club, the community forward? Because I wasn't playing for myself. If I was playing for myself, my statistics would have been much better. Okay. I played, I played, when I came here as a 14 year old kid and I spent six weeks here, I watched, I batted, I bowled, I went and spent socialized yeah. times. What, in, in recollection, when I went back to Newcastle, I yeah. thought I want to be part of that. And when yeah. it finishes, I want things to have moved forward, and they had. Yeah. And 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 I was by that stage, I was thirty. And when you've actually achieved what you set out to do, it's a really difficult place to find yourself. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It really is because yeah. you know what is your next challenge? Um, my challenge has always been where can you do good work yeah where are you going to be of use yeah if your best work is behind you or if you're not as enthusiastic yeah. or if you're jaded yeah um you either have to find a different place to work that will revitalize your enthusiasm um and someone else takes over where it's been taken and hopefully they will make it better again. Move it on a step. Yeah. Continue. It's everywhere. It's, that's, you know. So in summary, what was the good work that you did in um, the townships in South Africa? Well, we talked about under apartheid there. Yeah. Um, I'll take you further down the road. Bob Woolmer asked me, yeah. he said, I want you to come to South Africa, to Cape Town, and I want you to be the first pro for a, a, a coloured team called St. Augustine's. And your job is to move these people forwards. They'd never had a white player ever play for their club. They'd never had a professional. Basil Dolabier, as I said, that was his club. He'd, brought, he'd been brought up there. He played from being a tot all the way through to when he had to leave South Africa to come to England to try and compete on a level playing field. So Basil was everything. That you know, That's his spiritual home. Yeah. And uh, so Woolley asked me to do that. Uh, six weeks later, I was sat in his garden in Cape Town waiting for a representative of St. Augustine's to come and pick me up. And he explained why he'd asked me. Because right. there, were, there were a million other people who could have become pro professional at that club. 
but he specifically asked me. It wasn't just limited to anyone who was at Warwickshire. If there was someone better at Yorkshire or Lancashire, he yeah, would yeah. have asked them. Yeah, yeah. Um, and he told me that he's what he thought the problems were going to be over a summer, uh, and how he thought that because I could bat and bowl and I wasn't going to take any nonsense from anyone. Uh, what role I had to perform. Uh, and he was obviously a crutch. He was, he was, you know, literally 10 kilometers from my front door if there was ever an issue that arose. Yeah. Um, but my job is to move this, this club and this community. And it's it, the cricket club is a huge part of the community. Yeah, yeah. How you can move these people forward during the dismantling of apartheid when you're the first white player. Yeah. You, and as I said earlier, I was abused by white South Africans because I was white playing in a coloured team, um, which was water off a duck's back. But it shows the level of mentality at that time within South Africa. Uh, so everywhere we went, we broke boundaries that, you know, St. Augustine's had never played against white teams uh, in their whole history. Uh, they were playing on grounds they'd never been uh, played on before. We played at Newlands at the Test Match ground there. And it was a very humbling experience because these guys, I watched them walk onto the field and they were looking up at the sky and looking around and they couldn't believe that they were standing on a cricket field that they'd only ever been able to stand the other side of the boundary. They weren't allowed to go onto the field at lunchtime or tea time because they were coloured. And you being a key catalyst in trying to move that well, my job was My job was to encourage them and get stuck in. If, any, if anything kicked off in the field, I had to be in the middle of it because I was defending my team. Um, I wasn't the captain, but I was obviously a senior player and I had a lot of experience. Um, so something kicking off in the field in South Africa wasn't, it didn't mm. really worry me too much, so long as we knew we were safe. And I knew I was safe with my teammates because they got me very quickly. They knew I was on their side. And initially they were concerned because I was white that that might create a problem. Um, and did it? No, it worked the other way yeah. because, but you see, this is where Bob chose me. Right, yeah. If if they, I think if they'd had a pro who just turned up, did the basic job that was required and then turned up the following Saturday with his kid to play, I didn't do that. I hung out with all these people. I went into all sorts of places that white people traditionally wouldn't have spent their time but I had my teammates they had my back you weren't there to do the cricket really you were there to actually this was a community boost. this was I, yeah. the cricket was a byproduct this byproduct. was about <laughs> moving these people forward um I remember early on uh about 10 of us decided to go to Clifton for the one of the better beaches in Cape Town and we walked down the steep steps to get onto the yeah. sand and when we got there we had people saying, no, you can't come on here. And they're pointing at my teammates. And I'm saying, no, mate, apartheid is being disbanded. Um, these people can go wherever they want. Uh, and having a massive stand-up row where I'm telling my teammates to get out of here and they can look after themselves. I couldn't look after myself, but I wasn't going to take this from this bloke. Yeah. Not, you know, it was a challenging situation. And in the end, the guy had to back off because he had to acknowledge that everything he'd ever known had gone out the window and now people could go where they wanted. Um, I remember walking into Spurs uh, restaurants and, and being told that we couldn't go in because that we had coloured, because these people were coloured. And I said, well, no, man, I'm white. They're my guests and apartheid's gone. Um, 
So there were all sorts of in, all sorts of situations which arose, but my job was to get these to move these people forward. And it's somewhat ironic now that two, at least two of the people who were in that team hold very senior positions within South African cricket. And if and if I'd asked the question, well, I do, I speak to them all the time. If I asked the question, you know, when I was in Cape Town that very first time, yeah. did I, could you ever perceive yourself being in the job that you've now got? And, and all of them would pretty much say, I knew I could do that job, but whether I was going to ever get the opportunity to climb the ladder to reach that stage, that was a very different question. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it was about. I don't really want to go into an easy environment, yeah. and if you if you talk about community work, you you know if you want to go into a really nice community, then go to Bel Air, or, or you know go to the you know the, the equivalent in any city in the world. Yeah. Yeah. Um, if you actually want to help people within the community, you tend to go into areas where there are troubles, um, and there was nothing more troubling than apartheid. How do you feel about the legacy that you've left? Uh, you see, I don't even think of it as a legacy. I, th <laughs> I, I think about it, I know I can do better work again. That's why uh, at the end of last year, someone said, you know, what are, you, what are your plans now? And, and, and the answer was and still is, I analyse everything I've ever been involved in yeah. and work out what I want to look to move forward. Many things I've been involved in. I know I can do, but it doesn't really interest me too much. And that's either because the system is cast in stone and it's wrong and you're never going to change it. Uh, despite the fact I'm talking about apartheid and dismantling of apartheid, and that was quite a big cast in stone and then it was dismantled. Yeah. Um, apartheid in, in certain ways seemed like a walk in the park in comparison to some of the committees that people sit on where <laughs> you'll never get through the door because you'll ask the questions they fear. And it's um, so stuck. Yeah. And it's it is so stuck. Yeah. But you know, that's why you write about them. So if you won't talk to me, then I'll just write about you. What's the next big challenge then, do you think? The next big challenge every day is a challenge. Yeah. I think that if you want to grow a sport like cricket, you have to engage with the community far more than cricket ever has. And and of course you have we win the World Cup last summer and you sit in a bar anywhere in Great Britain, or certainly in England. And there would be people who would be aware of the fact that the English Cricket World Cup final was taking place at Lords. It also coincided with the Formula One Grand Prix and Wimbledon <laughs> final. Yeah. Um, but people knew it was taking place. And when England won that final, you know, I witnessed people who don't follow cricket at all leaping up in the air and knocking their pints off the table by mistake and all that. You can lift a nation with a sport and it's easy done. Um, but knowing grassroots sport and real community is a very different thing to being involved in the marketing of a cricket club in a specific county in this country. You really do have to know. Um, I know people, many people in Birmingham who are involved in grassroots sports who've got nothing to do with Warwickshire County Cricket Club um, and Warwickshire County Cricket Club probably don't even know who these people are. So I would see that as a shortfall in a system. In system. It's not a criticism because mm -hmm. you only have so many coaches and you have only have so many hours in the day and you have only have so many of this and so many of that. But there are different ways you can fund it. Additional coaches, but they have to be the right sort of people. Mm -hmm. 
when we were talking about ECB level four coaches, if you send them, if you send an ECB white collar coach into so many different environments, you find they won't get the result because they don't know the audience. They can't communicate with them. They can't relate to them. They don't know what these people's lives are. They don't know what the problems are within the streets. For me, I have to know the problems before I can address what I can bring to the table. So when people said to me, you want to go and work in LA, I'm like, rock and roll, bring it on. Yeah. Because I know the problems of the streets of LA. Yeah. Um, and I know, I know my stuff. So it was a matter of how can you be safe? How can you take a sport into an environment where traditionally it's not played or it's not known and prove that this sport is doing this for these people? And it's not about forward defences or the cut shot or the hook shot or lines and lengths. It's not about that. It's about these people are moving forward. They're now employed. They're more attentive. They go to college. They do this. They don't carry guns anymore. They don't shoot people. They're not in gangs. They don't sell crap. They don't do this. And that's how you open the doors for a sport called cricket. Because you say, right, we ran this program and this is the outcome. And people go, wow. And it's not because of the cricket, it's because you've turned people's lives, you've made communities safer, you've made people who aren't even involved in those communities feel safer theoretically because some of the people you've worked with for the last God knows how long used to be the people who went into the other sides of town and carjacked people for their Mercedes-Benz. Sport is to get through the door, but it's community work. As I say, you know, cricket is, coaching cricket is easy. It really is. Because if you coach at the local cricket club, you know that people turn up on Tuesday and Thursday nights because that's practice nights. When you go into areas and you don't know anyone and there's no practice facilities and you've got to, you've got to clear a car park or you've got to clear the equivalent of a back lane and it's as basic as that. And you, often you don't even have kit and sometimes if you do have the kit, it'll get nicked and then there's no kit. What were your first steps then? How did you get it, get it going in in America, in LA, yeah. I was actually living in Houston um, and, a, and a woman contacted me, a woman called Katie Haber, uh, who's a movie director and the ex-long-term partner of a guy called Sam Peckinpah, who took on Hollywood and what was community standards for movies uh, and is acknowledged now. At the time, he was seen as a tyrant because he challenged the biggest names in Hollywood about what hit the screens, um, whereas he was he was way ahead of his time, if you like. Um, so that was her background, and she'd worked on nine of Sam Peckinpah's uh, 13 movies. She's an English rose, she's from Hampstead, right. and she had, through her ability in movies, she had been headhunted by Peckinpah, who'd taken, back, taken her back to the States, and she'd stayed. But she knew what cricket was, yeah. and she was very active in the community um, in lots of different fields. And she'd set up a cricket team uh, in a place called Compton. So Compton would be known to many young people. You know, if you talk about gang life, people yeah. say, oh, are you from Compton? The assumption is that Compton is where everything happens. Well, yeah. everything does happen, but all over LA, all the... All the areas, South Central, Compton, Inglewood, Watts, Long Beach, the whole lot, there's gangs everywhere. So she would be involved in, she would try and open up doors. She would get people who would go in and give talks. She would try and encourage people to get involved in film, drama, theatre, whatever it would be. Yeah. 
Um, and she had this cricket team. And we spoke about it. Then I came back to England and we spoke about it further. And her, the guy that worked uh, in that team with Katie was a guy called Ted Hayes, political activist for the homeless. Right. Uh, and he believes that uh, cricket changes lives and, and his way of exp explaining what cricket does for people, it teaches them respect, it teaches them this, it teaches them all the things that I believe. Uh, so when I spoke to Ted, it was obvious that, you know, there was common, co there was common language here. Yeah, yeah. And the mere fact that he was a political activist and could get into parts of town or through doors that other people wouldn't do, not through brute force, but people feared him because if you didn't let him in, yeah. then he was going to make even more noise and there was enough noise to be made anyway. Um, so things were, were set up and the idea was to move people forward. I then went to LA, spent time there, came back to the UK, then went back. Um, we wrote bids, we wrote to the International okay. Cricket Council, we okay. wrote to all the, uh, the ICC, we wrote to all sorts of people trying to get funding for this thing. No one would back it, no one understood it. Yeah. Um, because people in sport would say this isn't about sport because and I, uh, the ICC would say things like, well, we have a budget which is spread out throughout the whole of the Americas. This is what the budget is for the United States of America. And it was peanuts. Yeah. I'm saying if you want to grow a sport in America that no one knows about, a percentage of people know about yeah. it, but it's a many of the small many, yeah. yeah. What this is doing is so newsworthy and will make people sit back and take note. And your sport comes in through the back door. That's how you do it. You don't hire a, a stadium in New York, one in LA and one in Houston, and each one holds 80,000 people and you fly in a, a retired Shane Warne, a retired Brian Lara, a retired Glenn McGrath, all these great players, but they're old men in sporting terms. You don't pay them a fortune out your budget, hire a huge stadium which holds 80,000 <laughs> people and expect 80,000 people to turn up in those cities, it won't work. And they did that and no one turned up. So a huge amount of money went out of the pot. I'd have to say of all the work I've ever been involved in, the disappointments of America were, are huge. And I'd still like to go back right. and do things in a manner that I know they could be done. What I do know is that the people who were involved in that cricket team moved forward dramatically because most of them are married. They would never have been married. Mm -hmm. They had no... no that you'd have to say that the lives that they live, women aren't given a huge amount of respect unless yeah. it's a girl in a gang. Um, you know, life is cheap. Uh, <clears throat> you're talking to people and saying, don't sell crack, go to college. Well, if they earn $1,500 a day and you're asking them to go and sign up at the local college where it's going to cost money, um, it's a pretty hard sell. Exactly. Something has to happen in order for someone to stop selling crack. And it's either death, jail sentence, uh, it could be anything, but it has to be something. Yeah. You know, your powers of persuasion are only so long, are so, um, so powerful, if you like. Yeah. But there were enough examples of people who move forward. One of the guys employs 60 odd people. Yeah. Uh, they, they all work. Because we've provided a purpose, I guess, and, and, a purpose. and a passion and an interest. And what it what it did is it gave them a focus. A focus. Yeah. 
Um, and that's, that's all the public need is a focus. If we all focused on things and they were all good, the world would be a better place. Um, if you talk about things like gang life, it's all very territorial. It's all about me, 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 us, us, us. If I wear blue, we shoot at people who wear red. Um, you know, and that's just the main two gangs that ever get spoken about. You've got Hispanic gangs, you've got Mexican gangs, you've got Mexican gangs that are against Mexican gangs. You've got the, the whole lot. And often you'd, you'd, there'd be no policing, despite the fact that Compton had its own police force. Compton as an area, as a city, and it's a city within a city, was bankrupt. Right. Um, it, it is what it is, you know. I mean, uh, many times, not just in America, but many countries I've been in the world, I'm thinking, uh, particularly in America, though, you'd say, well, this is a superpower. Yeah. You said, no, superpower. You've got, you've got things that get huge amount of attention, things like the movie industry, Hollywood. You've got all these things, New York Yankees. You've got all these things, L.A. Lakers. You've got all these brand things that are huge, Coca-Cola and this, that, and the other. Meanwhile... If you went into East Central Los Angeles at night, where Ted and Katie had set up something called Dome Village, so there was 22 fiberglass igloos that would hold three, maybe four people. And they were, these 22 fiberglass igloos were on a car park that would have been donated oh. for use yeah. by, a rich, uh, by a rich guy. And it was right next to uh, Skid Row. So you would have families or individuals that would stay there whilst you would work with the council and try and get these people into more permanent homes. Um, but if you went into that part of town at night, you'd see tens of thousands of people, homeless, people in tents, thousands of people roaming around to the extent where if you walked amongst them and stopped and just observed what you were doing, you would find a plainclothes cop that would tell you to move. You weren't allowed to stop. Stop. Wow. You weren't allowed to stop. Um, and I wasn't a green card holder. So a, a lot of situations that I would be in, if they asked me, yeah. have you got a green card holder? I mean, I, this is all voluntary work. No one's getting any money from it. Yeah. I, was, I would say it was the most expensive free education <laughs> I ever got because it's costing me the whole time. Every, with a lot of these things, you're paying for the experience. Some people go to university and it costs them so much a year in fees yeah, and yeah. accommodation. Yeah. You learn more than anything from this. <laughs> Correct. So it, it may cost you a bit and there's ways, you know, I could write about it where I would earn money about it. You can't name people. You can't really say what's going on because you'd get a gun in your back. Um, where's it at now? Where, you know, this, this, is, this is some years ago, but what, do you have a sense of where it's all at now? Well, in America. Yeah. Well, well America yeah. And, and the townships in, 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 you know, South Africa, Cape Town. Um, I would have to... I would have to um, I would have to go and see with my own eyes because if yeah. you ask people, they tell you, I see a lot of them, um, people turn up to a bit of work and disappear. Yeah. Lots of photographs get taken, they get put in magazines it's, and people say, we're, you know, we are working in these, in these communities when in fact, these communities need your work all the time, not just for four weeks and we'll see you next year, same yeah. time. Yeah. Um, so if you're actually serious about it, it doesn't cost the earth, but the but the results are huge. Yeah. Um, but the key to it is, is the people who make the decisions have actually got to get it. They've got to understand what the whole purpose is. Yeah. Uh, and it's not glamorous work. Um, you're not going to find a Kevin Peterson uh, 
in those environments, you might, and it would be a hell of a bonus. Uh, but that's not the, what the point is. The point that's is not what you're doing it for. <laughs> you're doing a policing job. Yeah. Uh, and you're doing an educational job. Uh, you're doing and a building community. And, you are you know, building community. The thing is, you do the job that absent mothers and fathers don't do. Or we're not skilled to do, or never had the opportunity to learn well, how to do. Well, you know, when I say absent, you know, I mean yeah. some of them, some of them, uh, some people don't have moms and dads. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, some people's lives from young are pretty much spent on the street, and we see in England, you see kids hanging around street corners. Yeah. Kids have always hung around street corners, um, but the stakes are higher now. Yeah, it would appear. Uh, I think I was brought up in a in a more innocent era. Um, I can't remember any guns or knives in Newcastle. Oh, it's a tough city, and I'm sure there were. Yeah. But I never knew no. of any kids who carried them. Yeah. Um, however, I've, I've been in, in South Africa. Every time I used to get in a car, there used to be a loaded uh, Luger next to the handbrake. Yeah. As a matter of course. Yeah. Um, you know, like much like you, you, you leave the room, you pick your mobile phone, you put it in your pocket, there would be a loaded Luger, which used to be with us the whole time. You know, so I think that cricket has a massive part to play, much bigger part to play in moving communities forward than it actually realises. Mm. Soccer is renowned for it. Um, you know, countries like Brazil, poverty, poverty countries, um, for the vast majority, it's a poverty country, but soccer is a is a it's in people's blood. It's uh, it it brings people together. It uh, people who would normally ignore each other. And I mean, are you involved in any of this work sat here today anymore, or would you like to? I would go like. Back to I would like to. I would like to do um, more work of that type. Yeah. But uh, I step back because this is not. This is not. These are not my communities. If I could go, if yeah. I can go into a place and leave an impact, and explain this is how the best way to do this. Because we used to go into meetings and people would say we need stumps, we need bats, we yeah. need balls, and that. And I used to say no, we don't. I can get that because yeah. I've got sponsors in England or people who used to sponsor me. They'll get what I'm talking to them about and they'll send some kit. I would say when we put on activities, less kids get shot. Can we talk? And of course they're going to say yes, because every time someone gets shot, it costs a fortune yeah. in police inquiries, court costs, uh, mortuary costs, uh, and, and it just uh, it just all evolves. It's right, yeah, so yeah. If one person gets shot, there's a retaliation shooting and whatever. So I used to always come from, we are trying to change people's lives. You've got a problem with kids and gangs and knives and, and guns and drugs and whatever. This is a common theme throughout the whole world. But you've got a specifically bad situation in your city right here, right now. So how could we find how could we find a pot of money where we could pay pay coaches? Uh, we don't need we don't need money for officers. We don't need money for this. We need to pay fuel. We need to get people there. We may have to buy a few bits and pieces yeah. uh, and things like kit shortages. It could be sorted out through goodwill of companies that do well for themselves very well, thank you. Um, that's the sort of thing that interests me. Yeah. We live in times where there aren't enough police, there aren't enough police. Yeah. Um, we live in times where people live in fear. We live in time, um, you know, here we are the second biggest city in this country. Um, 
it has problems. They're acknowledged. You speak to I know police officers. You know, we talk. You know, if you don't have enough men and you rely on CCTV footage that you may be able to get from the woman from down the road, that's great. Yeah. But but they've already scarpered. Yeah. Uh, and even if you even if you get your hands on them, you're then reliant on the court systems actually handing out a punishment, which which you know sort of meets the crime. That's quite and that's quite reactive still, isn't it, to what's going on? And hearing a lot of the work that you were trying to do was to be proactive in terms of actually build the communities and 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 a sense of belonging and give people an identity and hope and opportunity. Yeah. You know, so looking at it from through a slightly different there's lens. There's nothing worse than knowing that there's nothing worse than no hope. If you don't know where to go from here and there's no hope, it's a terrible place to find yourself. And if you've got communities that are like that and people are frightened yeah. to speak out um, because there's repercussions, um, yeah. it's, uh, it, it's a hell of a it's a hell of a difficult situation to find yourself because the police will say, well, if you don't communicate with us, we can only do so much. Your community knows who's doing all these things, but no one ever talks because you're frightened of the ones that commit the crimes. And it's only natural that you should fear people who are capable of nastiness. However, there's a place for those sorts of people. And you think, well, the system will catch up with them in time. It's how much devastation they cause and how long that devastation lasts. Some places never come, you know, never ever come back. Yeah. Um, and and whilst all this stuff is going on, you have very young kids that 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 just accept the fact that this is the way that it is. Mm. And if you're a very young kid and someone says, "Put this in your pocket, walk it across the other side of the road, and when we come back, I'll give you ten bucks," then there'll be a million kids who want that ten bucks. Yeah, yeah. And that's how they become dealers. Yeah. That's how they become this, that, and the other. Um, so where a sport can play a part is massive. But I think you just have to think outside the box. Yeah. Um, this isn't a photo, photograph opportunity. This isn't the chance for someone to jump on board and try and yeah. make a name for themselves. It's a unglamorous work. Yeah. And you may be still working at three yeah. o'clock in the morning because you've got to get across town to get a hold of a kid who's in serious danger because he's in the wrong part of town. And, 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 you know, we'd make many journeys across L.A. to go pick people up and bring them back and put them in a safe house because that was part of their journey. Yeah. If you do it enough, I mean, if you think about playing games of cricket in those sorts of environments, whether it be in South Africa, South America, or the United States of America, if you've got kids or young men who have a history of, problems, troubles, some of it self-inflicted, if they are transported to another part of town and they play cricket all day, the one thing you do know is they're not in the areas where they consistently get into trouble. So if you can if you can get them to come back and play another game and come back and play another game over a period of time, what they used to do all the time, they're not doing all the time. So we're changing habits there, aren't we? Yeah, you're changing habits, but you're also things like... Um, you're also networking like hell with police forces saying, you know the history of these kids, you know how many times you've booked them, all you've got to do is check your records, you, you'll probably notice you haven't picked them up in the last 12 months, is that right? Yes. Uh, this is why. This is why. This is what we believe. We believe that they, they've not been in your hair because they've been in our hair and they've actually they've started to turn their lives around. 
and so you you assist police forces, which means that the cost on the government purse is reduced consistently, and that's what it's about. If you know, if they become better cricketers, well, hey, that's yeah, great. Yeah. They, they'll well, have that's their, not what we're in it for, though. That, that that's is, not your purpose. That is, it? but you see, when you not everyone, particularly then, not everyone, you couldn't necessarily go online and say, watch this, this is cricket. You couldn't visually show them it on a screen. You had to teach them it manually yeah. in the middle of a park that isn't flat. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it's, it, you know, it's a very simple game. Mm. Uh, and if you keep it very simple, people will get better quicker. Mm -hmm. They're not challenged because the opponents are seriously good in those situations. Mm -hmm. The team would get bowled out for nothing. Mm -hmm. um, so it would defeat the object. Mm -hmm. uh, but it's a matter of creating a bond where people move forward. Mm -hmm. and, and those guys, they're all mates now. Yeah. Well, Paul, hearing that last bit there in terms of creating a bond and an opportunity for people to move forward, is, I think is, is fantastic. And using sport as a vehicle to do that, I think is absolutely incredible. And I, I also do wonder that you are really underplaying the legacy that you've probably left over the years. You've done this fantastic work. My, my last thing to ask you, though, is if you were to get back into it or, or wanting to make a difference again in this field, could people contact you to find out more of what you've done? Um, would you be open to having discussions about you know, how, how people could look out of the box a bit differently? At, at I'm an open book. I do that half the time. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I speak. I, I speak to people. I mean, all sort of people play sports for all sorts of reasons. Some because they want to become professional. Some because they want to be in a in a professional, a more yeah. professional environment at yeah. amateur level. Some people are uh, play because they want a bit of a jolly and have nice teas and a beer home on a, on, a, on a Sunday afternoon. Yeah. Um, some people uh, are involved in community work because they live within community work, live within that community, and they want to try and make a difference. Yeah. Uh, so I would speak. I speak in all sorts of environments. Yeah. I do consultancy work in all sorts of environments. Yeah. Um, uh, but we live in a we live in a troubled world. I believe we yeah. live in a troubled world, and yeah. I don't know whether it's just broadcast more now. I'm sure there's always been difficulties in life, but. It is a challenging time of life and we should all try and do what we possibly can and sport plays a huge part in that. Yeah. And given the part you've played in the previous world and now the troubled world we live in, you know, what, what I would like to, to sort of offer to the people that are listening in is that we'll put your details um, or a way of contacting you should they wish to find out a bit more on the, the notes for the podcast and are you comfortable with that? I have no problem. Yeah. Well, Paul, once again, fascinating. And, and let's hopefully come back to this at a later stage, because I'm sure we could talk about this more because, you know, it's very clear the passion that you've got for this kind of work. Um, and I would really love to be on the journey with you to see where we can, you know, not just help people enjoy sport, but actually really make a difference to people's lives through it. So cool. once again, thanks a lot. No problem. So there we have it, the final episode of Five with Paul. As expected, Paul has been open, frank and shared his views based on his incredible experiences. For me, it is amazing to hear how a successful sports person has used and shared his experiences and the stature he has gained whilst playing professionally to really try help needy communities and countries. Paul was definitely up for the challenge. It also really stood out for me in the way he shared his experiences that cricket really did help build stronger and safer communities through providing a purpose and a focus. 
I'm sure there is still so many ways in which we can use sport to help the development of individual and communities. And for me, we really need these interventions and approaches now in a world that is facing so many challenges. The conversations with Paul has made me reflect on two key points. They are impact and legacy. I'd like to therefore pose these two questions for you to consider. How could you better use your past experiences to make a positive impact? And two, what personal legacy would you like to leave in relation to your community? And what do you need to start or continue doing? It would be great to hear your thoughts on these questions. Also, please continue to leave reviews on Apple or other podcast channels you use. Before I sign off, I just wanted to say a last thank you to Paul for sharing the five-part series. It's been amazing to hear his insights and views based on his vast experiences. Have a listen back if you've missed any of the episodes, as you will not be disappointed. So until next week, take care, enjoy the week ahead, take a look at the show notes, and I look forward to having you with me, Dave Levine, again next week on the Sports Stories podcast.